All right, good morning, church. Hey, welcome back. It's nice to be back, huh? <laughs> good to see your faces. Although what's interesting, huh, is this whole coronavirus uh, has done a lot for us with uh, technology and stuff, huh? Some of these prayer calls and stuff that, that I've been seeing, it's pretty amazing. It's, it's uh, you know, it's better to be in person, but it sure is nice to be able to continue some of that stuff via Zoom and uh, otherwise, so... You press on. Why don't you guys stand with us for uh, the opening song? Can you hear it? Gentle voice of the Spirit. There's no reason to fear it. It's calling you to life. Surrender, run into the arms of the Father. The night is finally over. Take a step into the light. This is the day when the lost are found. This is the day for a new beginning. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Oh, can you hear all the angels are singing? This is the Day, the day when life begins. Can you see it? A light shines into the darkness, bringing hope to the hopeless, leading you to life. This is the day when all your sins are washed away. Is unending grace forever your alive. This is the day when the lost are found. This is the day for a new beginning. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Oh, can you hear all the angels are singing? This is the day, the day when life begins. No fear, salvation has come and he is here. Have no fear, salvation has come and he is here. Have no fear, have no fear. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Oh, I can hear the angels sing. This is the day when the lost are found. This is the day for a new beginning. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Oh, can you hear all the angels are singing? This is the day, the day when life begins. This is the day, the day when life begins. Amen.
See, we're not all the way back. We forgot the microphone. <laughs> Welcome, everybody. Are you happy? Are you happy? Well, that doesn't sound too happy, but before we get started, I want to say a couple of thank yous. Carl and Ron here have just been running the whole show. Everybody been able to watch the things? Those two have <laughs> run the whole show for the whole time. They spent time on email and planning, and Carl's been ordering new uh, little gizmos and stuff because it worked better if we did this and the sound would be improved, and those guys really deserve a lot. And, I mean, there's other people who have helped. Dan and Bob uh, read scriptures and announcements, and so have other people. But Carl and Ron, they were the... They were the key to keeping this all going, and so we want to thank them for that. <clears throat> so welcome. We're going to read a scripture, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6. But Christ was faithful as his son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boost of our hope firm until the end. You know, we weren't able to meet, but God was still there taking care of us all. That was a, it, just a great thing to prove and it's let's see where it takes us from here so let's pray for opening heavenly father we thank you for letting us gather together again we thank you lord that everybody is willing to uh split services that pastor steve can uh, preach both times that the music team is going to be available and that we were able to get everybody in that wanted to come we pray lord for those that aren't here that uh, they're able to watch this video that they're able to uh, praise and worship you also. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for taking care of us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'd like to invite you guys to stand with us for worship. The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, all the earth rejoice. He wraps himself in light, and darkness tries to hide, and trembles at his voice. Trembles at his voice. How great is our God? Say with me, how great is our God? Oh, we'll sing how great, how great is our God. Yeah. 
And Lord, just as we sang, we long for you, O oh Lord. As we see what's going on in our nation right now, Lord, we just pray, Lord, that uh, Lord, that uh, we might this time might be used as a time to just turn and focus to you, Lord. Uh, we've got our eyes so focused on so many things, and there's so many things around us that seem like chaos and and uh, and selfishness, Lord. But I pray, Lord, at this time that our nation would just turn back to you and realize our depravity, Lord. And, Lord, that we would just completely, wholeheartedly come back to serving you, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would just protect the, uh, the law enforcement and all the people that are out there trying to, trying to serve our country, Lord. Lord, that uh, you keep them safe at this time. And, Lord, those that need to be heard, that they would be heard at this time, Lord. Um, and, Lord, that you would protect... Uh, our, our law enforcement and folks from just this terrible uh, violence that's going on out there, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. His holy name Sing like never before Oh my soul I worship your holy name The sun comes up It's a new day dawning It's time to sing your song again Oh 
with your holy name. Who brings the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder? Who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder? The King of glory. The King above all kings. Yeah, this is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be. our chaos back into order who makes the orphan a son and daughter the king of glory the king of glory who rules the nations with truth and justice shines like the sun in all of its brilliance the king of glory the king above all kings this is amazing grace, this is unfailing love, that you would take my place, that you would bear my cross, you lay down your life, that I would be sing for all that you've done for me. Oh, Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. All right, you may be seated. <laughs> okay, welcome back. <clears throat> we got a new thing been a long time connection cards did everybody get one did everybody fill one out everybody ought to be filling one out at least with one praise that we're back together so you ought to at least put that down guys and prayer requests didn't sue did a great job of creating the uh, encouragement team and people calling every week we had a list she would print it out and it would be almost a full page every week of prayer requests for the prayer team because of people calling and, and asking for prayer or what you wanted. So Sue did a great job of creating that team, and they did a great job. That's a lot of work. 
Believe me, I know that. <laughs> um, notice on the uh, card the, there on the left on the back, there's some things. Excuse me. There's some things they really want to know about. Uh, of course, I want to know, know more about. That's kind of the standard there. But I want to be a part of. Did you see that part where it says parents night out? Did you know that there's a team that's been working behind the scenes getting that ready so that that ministry can start? I mean, we kind of got uh, hornswoggled there. We had our summit three. We had a bunch of ministries started get ready, and then, bam, they closed down the world. And so we didn't get to do them. But with the blessing of technology and, and people's heart and spirit, that committee has been working to get ready to have a parents' night out. Um, we're doing two services for a while, and even after that, a sanitizing team. If you're interested in being a part of that, let me know. <clears throat> the worship team. Are you asking for more volunteers? Um, well, we, we will be, yeah. Cool, yeah. cool. And the encouragement team. If you want to be a part of that encouragement team, we are not going to stop that. We're not sure exactly how it's going to be once we're back together, but we're not going to stop the encouragement team. If nothing else, maybe we're going to kind of take a semi-roll call every week. And if one week Carrie doesn't show up, somebody's going to contact Carrie and say, where you been? You okay? Things like that's, that's being family. That's being family. We don't want to just accept, oh, darn, Carrie's not here. Oh, well. We don't want to accept that. So the encouragement team is being modified, but we're working on it. <clears throat> so everybody, fill out your connection cards. We'll give you a minute. Marilyn, did you plan anything? Surprise! <laughs> <laughs> I could just sit, I could just sit and wait for all your goodness, hope to feel your presence. I could just stay, I could just stay right where I am and hope to feel you, hope to feel something again. You have called me higher, you have called me deeper. called me higher you have called me deeper and I'll go where you will lead me Lord you lead me where you lead me Lord wow thank you we could use more of that special music type stuff. David, you do good. You do good. <clears throat> so one other little thing we need to talk about. We're going to have to do this split service for a couple more weeks. That's the government's rules. But hopefully in about three weeks, I think Pastor Steve was saying, we'll be able to bring the whole group back together. And at that time, if you didn't know it, we've got some men working on Sunday school class for the summertime. So be ready for that. It'll be good. So be praying about joining it if you want. <clears throat> um, 
I think that's all the announcements for today. So the last thing would be uh, Mr. Arms and uh, Mr. Stockwell, would you do the offering, please? I'll pray if you guys would. Nope. Oh, we're just going to put the offering in the box? Okay. Everybody. And the connection cards. Okay. Okay. See, it's a little bumpy coming back together. We'll get there. <laughs> we got it. We'll get it. Okay. So offering in the box. Everybody remember that, okay? And Tony just did an example. Nice job, Tony. Nice. All right. <laughs> <Woo>. <laughs> yeah, it's not full yet. Yeah. All right, let's pray for the offering. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. Lord, we thank you that uh, even through this virus, you were still out there being God all the time. That nothing about you changed. You were still helping, loving, caring, and watching over all of us. Lord, we thank you that we do get to get back together, and we thank you for the worship team who uh, did a fabulous job this morning. We thank you, Lord, for Pastor Steve giving us the message, and we pray that that message comes from you. We thank you, Lord, that you just love us so much and so dearly. And we pray, Lord, that our gift back to you, you will multiply and use in, in mighty ways. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so this morning I have the privilege of uh, reading our scripture. Uh, if you, uh, I'd like to invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. That's what we're going to be reading out of this morning. So I'll give you a moment to, to turn there. Ephesians chapter 4. All right, Ephesians 4. Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Always keep yourselves united in the Holy Spirit and bind yourselves together with peace. We are all one body. We have the same spirit, and we have all been called to the same glorious future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and there is only one God and Father who is over us all and in us all and living through us all. However, he has given each one of us a special gift according to the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says he ascended. This means that Christ first came down to the lowly world in which we live. The same one who came down is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that his rule might fill the entire universe. He is the one who gave these gifts to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ, until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature and full-grown in the Lord, measuring up to the full stature of Christ. Then... We will no longer be like children, forever changing our minds about what we believe because someone has told us something different or because someone has cleverly lied to us and made the lies sound like the truth. Boy, just a pause for a second. Is that relevant for now or what, huh? Amazing. Um, Instead, we will hold the truth in love, becoming more and more in every way like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Under his direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. 
With the Lord's authority, let me say this. Live no longer as the ungodly do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their closed minds are full of darkness. They are far away from the life of God because they have shut their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They don't care anymore about right and wrong, and they have given themselves over to immoral ways. Their lives are filled with all kinds of impurity and greed. But this isn't what you were taught when you learned about Christ. Since you have heard all about him and have learned the truth that is in Jesus, throw off your old evil nature and your former way of life, which is rotten through and through, full of lust and deception. Instead, there must be spiritual renewal of your thoughts and attitudes. You must display a new nature because you are a new person, created in God's likeness, righteous, holy, and true. So put away all falsehood and tell your neighbor the, the truth because we belong to each other, and don't sin by letting anger gain control over you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still anger, angry, for anger gives a mighty foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, stop stealing. Begin using your hands for honest work, and then give generously to others in need. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He is the one who has identified you as his own, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of malicious behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Thanks, Dave. How my uh, my check might be a little hot. How are you guys doing? It's been a long time. It's been a long time. Most of you look familiar. Some I can't tell, but uh, I'm just kidding. It's good to be back. My goodness, it's been two months, and I feel like I can't leave here for a minute. What happened? <laughs> right. Last I left, we were thinking maybe the the church would get shut down for a couple weeks over COVID, and now two months later, and there's protests, and there's riots, and a couple African-American folks lost their life, and a couple police officers have lost their life. Great, great turn of events. I don't mean great as in positive, but significant turn of events for our country and for our communities, and here we are in the midst of it, trying to make sense of it all, and we found ourselves in the middle of Ephesians 4 which talks about the corruptness of the world and how we need change. It builds on a foundation of Ephesians 1 through 3, talking about our place and our significance in God and what that means for us. Um, Today, since we're talking about change, I've actually uh, got a little video up from YouTube uh, that you guys might find humorous. Some some in the back have seen this before, but I I thought it was an interesting way to... uh, to perceive of change, so, so we'll look at maybe what the world looks at as change, and then we'll jump into Ephesians 4, if we could to, uh, tune up our, uh, our clip. There we go. Tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No, no, but truly thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't, 
go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in, into your life. Shall I uh, write them down? Well, it, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most, we find most people can, uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay, here, here they are. Stop it! <laughs> I'm sorry? Stop it! Stop it? Yes, S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you, you, you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. <laughs> yes. Then stop it. I, I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since no, childhood. No, no, no. <laughs> Tell me about the problem. Oh. So we're dismissed. Stop it. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Sometimes there's a little bit more to life and our habits and the wrongs in the world than just to stop it, right? Wouldn't it be easy if all of our problems, if we could just stop it? Maybe, maybe in your life, and I know I've experienced this, sometimes with the grace of God, God gives us grace with a certain area or a struggle in life, and we are able to walk away from it. And maybe that's immediate. I know, I know people who've come to the Lord and, and had a substance abuse problem and like instantly stopped walking in that habit and started walking in the newness of life. But I got to be frank with you, having walked this Christian life now for a couple of decades, and I know there's folks who've, who've walked this Christian life for, in this room a lot more decades than I have, sometimes it's also like maybe not that easy just to stop it. There's a little bit more of a, a process involved in that. That's a big part of what this letter to the Ephesians is about, though, is about change and transition, about finding a new life in Christ. One commentator and theologian who described the flow of the book of Ephesians said there was basically three different episodes in the book of Ephesians, and he describes those as sit, walk, and stand. Sit, walk, and stand. Paul's writing to this church in Ephesus, and he's talking to them about things they're going to need to change in their life. Licentiousness. Dave read a, a list out of this, this chapter, and it was so poignant today, he even stopped and made mention of it. We'll get to that list in a second. But it's interesting to note that Paul actually starts out the book of Ephesians with three chapters of what this commentator calls sit theology. Sitting with the Lord to hear what the Lord is saying to him about their identity. Hearing what Christ has remade us 
with his grace and understanding that in sitting, we don't have an active part in being accepted into his family. It's his work that he did on the cross. It's his Holy Spirit calling us to him. And ultimately, it's his work in regenerating us to be more like him. Having walked through those three chapters for the last three weeks, we're now finding ourselves in the part of the book that we would refer to potentially as the walk section, right? The verse starts off, uh, the chapter starts off, chapter uh, 4, verse 1 says, Therefore, I, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now, it's interesting, when, when you see a passage start with the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is that word therefore, right? For all of you English nerds, um, you may see therefore as a conjunction, but I got you, it's actually an adverb, but works to conjoin a previous idea with the idea of this sentence. So in this case, we're looking back at Scripture at those sit areas in preparation to understand how we can walk in the Lord. But there's a warning in that. One theologian commented, most Christians make the mistake of trying to walk in order to be able to sit. They try to do the Christian life in order so that they can think they're sitting and more intimate with the Lord. But this theologian goes on to say, our natural reason says, if we could not walk, how could we ever reach that goal? How could we ever attain that? By that he means that sitting part without effort. And how can we ever get there or get more of that sense of sitting with the Lord if we do not move? But Christianity is a unique business. If at the outset we try to do anything, we get nothing. If we seek to attain something, we miss everything. For Christianity does not begin with a big do, it begins with a big done. What Jesus did for us and how he calls us into himself. As, we, as we've been covering, we're going on from sitting with Christ into a goal of walking with Christ. That that time we discover Christ, his grace, his joy, his love for us, that should ultimately give us a desire to walk with him, to be more like him, and to ultimately take steps to work, to act out a Christian walk in the community, in our families, and as missionaries abroad to the world. It's interesting, Paul starts off of this, uh, this paragraph also by saying the fact, I, a prisoner of the Lord, am calling you to do this. Now, we're going to get to a place in a couple of paragraphs where we're talking about the sacrifice involved in a Christian life and that there's effort and that there'll be sometimes things that are uncomfortable but it's interesting, Paul can start this off by saying, hey, I'm a man in chains. And prisons back then, like our prisons now, are, are heck of more comfortable than prison back then. In fact, it was understood in the ancient world that some prisons, you had to have your friends come feed you because they wouldn't even give you enough food. 
that puts our, our modern prisons with cable television and showers to shame. Verse 2 goes on. You have been called with all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and that bond of peace. Now, it's, it's interesting. He throws all of these characteristics of this walk out, right? Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing one another. But he has to throw in this Greek word, which in my version is translated as eager to maintain, And in some versions, your version may actually say diligent to maintain unity in the bond of peace. I looked up this word. It's it's kind of a unique one. A couple of similar words would be to go fast, move speedily, or showing due diligence. But maybe the best description of that word would be, or definition would be acting fervently to accomplish all that God assigns through faith, his inbirthed persuasions. I'll ask you an interesting question today that I think is applicable in our world. Why would Paul be warning the Ephesian Christians that they need to be diligent in maintaining unity? Why would he warn them that you need to be diligent in maintaining unity? I would say just looking at the world in the la- over the last 11 days, it's easy to see how quickly unity can fall apart and digress into absolute chaos. If we've not learned anything in the last week and a half, it's that unity comes with effort. And without that effort, with lackadaisical effort or efforts to the contrary, it's easy for that unity to be broken and potentially take long, long times or be impossible to restore. If you've lived in a family or grown up in a community, you've seen what kind of effort goes into maintaining unity even amongst those who love one another. And here's Paul in a, writing to a pagan culture, writing to a church in a pagan culture, saying, be diligent to be humble, gentle, patient, and maintain this unity. A.W. Tozer has a great quote about unity. He said, Has it ever occurred to you that a hundred pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? They're of one accord, not by being tuned to each other, but to another standard to which every individual must bow. So that 100 worshipers meet together, always looking away from themselves to Christ, are nearer in heart to each other than they could possibly be were they to come here to try to be uh, unity conscious and turn their eyes to strive towards one another in unity. What he's saying is that as a metaphor, if you have 100 pianos in a concert and you're trying to tune them, how do you tune a piano? You get someone that knows how. <laughs> Amen. You're just, you take a tuning fork or an instrument that has, you know, a plumb line of what tuning is. You ring that, and then you have the chorus of instruments each try to align with that instrument, with that tuning fork that tunes naturally. 
Tozer's point is that we as Christians find unity not by constantly trying to adjust to one another, but by constantly trying to pursue Christ together. And as we grow, like two polar opposite points, as we grow towards Jesus together, we'll grow closer to one another. Because here's the thing, if I, if I try to grow attuned to Gary, well, Gary grows and changes and I grow and change, right? So you're always pursuing something that's constantly changing. But if you pursue Jesus, Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, and the Omega, the always has been and always will be. As you pursue him and as we pursue him as a community, we're actually growing closer together and we'll grow those bonds of unity together. Verse 4 goes on, 4 through 7 says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. In case you weren't counting, he used the word one eight times. Eight times. The community at Ephesus seemingly was struggling for unity. And part of the sit, walk, stand process is Paul is bringing them through a process of re-rooting them in Jesus and their identity in Him, calling them forth to walk in unity on a process to where we'll go in the next few chapters to stand for righteousness in their community. He's emphasizing that oneness over and over to call the Christian community together on behalf of what God has called that church at Ephesus to do. A monk once said this about that sense of unity. The deepest level of communication is not actually communication, he said. That deepest level of communication is communion. It's wordless, beyond speech, and beyond concept. For God to get the glory of being reunited with his bride, his bride should be a unified, loving, patient, humble body. And that idea is starting to look very countercultural at the moment. I mean, I don't know about your Facebook feed or your Instagram, but one of, the th- one of the memes that I saw recently, which kind of expresses a lot of what I've been seeing on news and social media, it was like a Civil War depiction, right? There was the blue side and the red side. And they're marching together. And you could see, right, in the little bubbles above their heads, the battle cry. And on one side it said, we all should wear masks. And the other side it said, we should never wear masks. And they were meeting together in the middle of this great big battle. And that's just masks. (laughs) Think of all the cultural things we have going on right now that we need 
to have humility and patience over, that we need to see common ground, and even in the Christian community, unity amongst how we deal with racial, racial relations, community tensions, these things that are turning into political attacks. There's great big questions for our community, too much to deal with in this service, beyond what I could take out of this text for you in 30 minutes. But we're going to be forced into that discussion here. God should be calling us into those discussions, but our communities and our lives and our news feeds and everything else are going to force us into those discussions. So let's do so with love and unity. As a prophetic bracelet used to cry out to us, W, W, J, D. Verse 8, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above the heavens, that he might fill all things. There's a lot in that couple little sentences. The first one is he's talking about ascending to heaven and descending to earth. Let me just give you a little bit of historical background of what it means to descend into the lower levels of the earth. Quite frankly, some of the patristic fathers of the faith bantered back and forth about what it meant to descend to the lower levels of the earth. Some thought that was Hades. Some thought that was a Christian version of hell. Ironically, when you read history, you should know that the pagan concept of Hades is different but related to the Christian concept of hell. This, um, this culture worshipped mythological gods, right? The gr- ancient Greek mythological gods. And they had this idea of Hades, which you'll see that word used in the Christian context. But just so you know, those two things have commonality. They're both in a state in in an afterlife, but we believe that hell, as we refer to it in the modern Protestant sense, is different than how the Greeks looked at the mythological sense. The problem is commentators, when they look back at what Hades meant to cultural writers then, import those language, that language and identity, directly into what our Bible says. So it's been a little bit of a slippery place. But let me read to you another passage from the Old Testament, which I think helps us frame this better and explain what I believe much of Protestant theologians look at as this sense of descending to the lower earth means today. It's out of Isaiah verse chapter 44, verse 23. It says, Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, O depths of the earth, break forth into singings, O mountains, O forest, and every tree in it, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob and will be glorified in Israel. If you'll notice in that verse, it says, shout, O depths of the earth, break forth into singings, O mountains, O forest and every tree. Now, unless hell has a bunch of forests, the depths of the earth looks like it's here on earth. 
So it's not like the, the understory of hell, the lake of fire where the angels go. I'm guessing that that doesn't look like the redwoods in Oregon because that's probably more like heaven to me. When they're talking the depths of the earth, that's here in comparison to heaven, right? Jesus descend to the depths of the earth to take the captives with him. He's not talking, saying that any of the Old Testament saints who died had to first go to the lake of fire and burn there until Jesus came and rescued them. He's saying that Jesus descended here. Now it says in verse 8 that he gave gifts to men, and it says in verse 9, so that he might fill all things. So to put this into one like conjugated thought, Christ came here and left, and when he left behind, remember he talks about leaving his spirit behind to empower us to do greater works than he does, and part of that was our spiritual gifts. The fact that to sit well, to walk well, to stand well, we need that spirit working in us. And we need Christ's empowerment and expression of his his gifts and his character working in our communities for us to be successful to live out our faith. Verse, uh, Verse 11 goes on, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ. A lot of ink has been spilled about these verses about the gifts. Um, Four places in the New Testament where you'll find conversations about gifts are 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, 1 Corinthians 12, 28 through 30, Romans 12, 6 through 8, and here, here in Ephesians, as well as 1 Peter 4. And it's important to notice that this conversation about gifts is placed here in light of Jesus coming down and leaving gifts to help us fulfill that walk phase of how we live out our life in Christ. He's exhorting people to use their gifts for the body. See, community life in Ephesus wasn't as orderly or as fruitful as what Paul had seemingly hoped for when he planted the church there. Kind of like, um, and, and what Paul wants to say here too to the community is that He didn't just leave a pastor here to do all of the works of the ministry, but Paul, in appointing Timothy eventually as pastor in Ephesus, did so so that that leader could help draw out the gifts of the community and help the community be on mission on behalf of God's glory. Why would he do that? Well, a couple reasons. Number one is there's like a lot of work to be done right? I mean, our, our world needs Jesus and his voice and his grace and his love, like right now, like maybe as much as they've ever needed him in my lifetime. I mean, the, Jesus says this, the harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. 
There's no shortage of people right now who need to know the Lord. And the Lord's given us His Spirit to share with others so that when we share His Word and His love, the Bible tells us that Word will not return void. Jonah went to Nineveh. Nineveh! Pagan Nineveh! Walked around the city of Nineveh, basically said the worst message ever, right? Repent or you're going to die! I don't recommend preaching like that today. The city repented. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's guessed from a little bit of what we know about Jonah. He might not have even wanted him to repent. <laughs> he didn't. Heck with these people. Repent or die. They're like, okay, we repent. He's like, no. God's word will not return void, but we see in Scripture over and over again that places that seem hardened to God's word and hardened against God's purposes are oftentimes or places when God most invokes His Spirit to open the door to receive that message. Another reason that we equip the saints is, quite frankly, like, clergy can't do it all. If you've studied about the church in our generations, every generation since World War I seems to give a little bit less to the church, right? Houses are more expensive now. More people have college debt. Like, people give less as young families than they did a generation ago. So, as, as a community, we're going to have less clergy than we did 20 or 50 years ago. And unless something changes, that trend will continue. That's okay. Guess what? The book of Acts, the community came together on behalf of the gospel. And they flipped the world upside down. Not scared. Now, I'll read you a little bit, just so you know. We, we, we drafted up a pastoral profile recently. And I'll, I'll share with you our scoring sheet for how we're going to score a, a perfect candidate as we search for a pastor, okay? The perfect candidate will preach exactly 12 minutes. And in that 12 minutes... Give everyone in the church a perfect diet of spiritual food. He'll frequently condemn sin but never upset anyone. He'll work from 8 a.m. till midnight. Oh, and be the janitor. We'll pay him $600 a week. He'll wear good clothes, have a nice car, read good books, and give $800 a week back to the church. He's about 28 years old, but with 30 years of experience. <laughs> He's wonderfully gentle and handsome. He gives himself completely to everyone and every cause in the church, but never gets too close that he might get criticized for it. He speaks boldly on social issues, but never becomes overly politically involved. He has a burning desire to work with everybody from teenagers to senior citizens. Daily, he makes 15 house calls, plus shut-ins, hospitalizations, evangelizes, and he's in the office 24-7. Can anyone fill that job description? <laughs> no. Of course, I'm just joking. These aren't our actual, our actual scoring sheets. Deep inside, though, some of us are like, wow, that would be awesome. <laughs> Let me tell you a secret, though. It wouldn't be awesome. 
It would let you off the hook and me off the hook for the spiritual work that we need to do as part of this process. And if we get off of the hook and don't be involved, we get off of the hook of our own development, of our own sanctification, of running into our own issues that get into our way and learning how to be patient and humble and loving with others. Having someone that overperforms like that would allow us to sit and be complacent. And that habit of complacency would ultimately undercut our development and our Christ-likeness. Paul goes on in verse 13 and says, Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So in the flow of the argument, we've heard we need to be more unified. Here's how we walk together. Jesus came down to earth, left a bunch of gifts to pursue that fullness. And that in this verse it says, that's part of how we're going to get there to what he calls mature manhood, to the unity of the faith and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. See, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry is a way to effectively evangelize beyond what a single pastor could do, but it's also a way to build up the body for us to learn how to get outside of our comfort zones, for us to learn how to get outside of our walls, for us all to learn how to love better on our neighbors, how to listen well to some of these conversations that are shooting over our country's head and how to bring a message of hope to those that we know. 1 Corinthians 12, another place that they talked about gifts, says there's a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There's a variety of service, but the same Lord. There's a variety of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Wow, how do we all need a little bit more common good in our country right now? See, but but building one another up is one of the unique attributes of our faith, right? I mean, as we we look outside of the world, we, we look at the news or scandals in professional sports or Hollywood gossip reports, we don't see a call to love one another the way that Jesus gives us, right? Like, we're different. You're not going to read in the Hollywood rags like, yeah, this you really need to love so-and-so. You just hear about their divorce and their failings. You don't actually hear anything about building them up. In fact, their weaknesses are shared so that they can be publicly torn down. God's calling us to not be like that, to avoid those desires to our own agenda or self-aggrandizement. Maybe the best reason to have those gifts and to be equipped in this time is that, quite frankly, saints, saints, us, saints kind of dry up if we don't use our gifts. Right? To, To ignore those things, as some preachers put it, to live your best life now 
Like that can be a lie. That can lead you astray. It's not that your best life now is the polar opposite of Jesus. Like Jesus is saying, no, 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 put that down. Let's lead our worst life now. That's the way to go. That's not what I'm saying. But if we get caught up in our best life now to mean the best for me at the expense of my community or my spiritual gifts or to the yoke that Jesus gave us or to the sacrifice we're all called to on behalf of making a difference in the world, we'll actually miss the best life now in trying to find the best life now. Paul goes on in verse 14 and says, This is so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head in Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love." One of the core pieces of the Ephesian struggle here, as Paul is calling it out, seems to be maturity. There seems to be a maturity issue, right? That we may, and he uses this word, quote, no longer be children. Ow. Ow. He spent three chapters talking about how you can sit with the Lord and then launched into unity, peace. Here's the gifts to mobilize us because guess what? You guys are not behaving like kids. What's this about? He said eight times, we are one, we are one, we are one, we are one. Stop acting like kids. Ow. How do you, how do we lean into that maturity today? Whether or not we feel, I mean, there's certainly people who've been walking in this Christian walk in this room for a long time who have quite a bit of maturity. So I'm not necessarily saying, hey, all of our, all of our problems are maturity. Please don't take that message. What I am saying is there is a deep, deep need in our world for what you have right now. And as long as I've been in ministry, I've not seen such a need for that. And it's going to stretch you to try to meet that need. Does, does, watching the news, have you, do you guys see a need that, that you're like, okay, this is no big deal. We got this. Because I spent, I spent a couple days this weekend on an ambulance driving by, by National Guard people in downtown L.A. Watching intersections shut down by protesters. And watching like city blocks destroyed and boarded up. That's my neighborhood right now. That's not far from my house. And the, I believe the only thing that's really going to get a hold of that is Jesus. Like this, this one's deep. In L.A., they stopped it because the community wanted the riots stopped. I don't know that that's necessarily the case in the same way today. I don't know that we thirst for that sense of having order restored and going back to a sense of goodness today. I hope it is. I hope I'm wrong. This one feels a little different. This, this one feels deep. We'll see. We'll see in the coming weeks and years how deep it is. If there's a divide that we can 
cover together as the church, if we can reach out and make a difference and like stand in the gap for people, we'll see. We will see. Paul, Paul throws out some warnings, though, to the community there. He warns them about winds of doctrine. Don't be taken away by winds of doctrine. Don't be taken away by human cunning. Don't be taken away by craftiness and deceitful schemes all woven together. Be unified. Be unified. Seems like a lot of the world is caught up in varying agendas right now. I mean, maybe that would fit under craftiness and schemes or human cunning. Our agenda is His great commission. Go to Jerusalem, Judea, the ends of the earth. His gospel will reign on this earth. It may not reign the way you or I would have it. I mean, I would, I would have a nice cozy chair on the beach and the gospel would reign with my feet up and like a nice little cold coconut drink. Like, that'd be awesome. His gospel may reign different than that. It likely will. But His word will reign. He's going to come back and remake the heavens and the earth. God willing, we'll all get to be a part of it and get to see it. Amen? He goes on to talk about the new life, verse 17. Now this I say, and to testify in the Lord, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. If I could pray for one thing today, it might be the hardness of our corporate community national heart. It's been said that futility of mind is when a man is forever and always trying to figure out how to always be happy while he is an enemy of God. Futility is the way of the world. They are full of thoughts that are empty, vain, and useless. Some of that's not untrue about our own ideas, right? I mean, Jesus called us sheep. I don't know if you know this, but sheep are like the only domesticated animal that can't even survive in the wild, all right? Like they're helpless. If they fall over and roll on their back, they can freak out enough where they kick their legs and can't get over because of their wool, where they can anxiety ridden, run themselves to death, upside down squealing. Like, that's what God calls you, all right? And me, like all of us. And I think I can prove to you how quite unwilling you are, how quite unable you are to even run your own world based on your own knowledge with one question. When's the last time you lost your car keys? Can't even hang on to your car keys. You're going to run your own world. You can be God for yourself. Good luck. I locked mine in the car last night, so there we go. <laughs> Verse 19, they become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy practice, and every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned in Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught him, as in the truth of Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God, in true righteousness and holiness. 
See, we're to put off our old self and put on our new self in the likeness of God, right? Although, although there's great people to learn from, right, pastors or saints that have gone before us or church fathers, we're not going to be able to put on the likeness of Billy Graham or C.S. Lewis or Tim Keller or whoever. We can only put on the newness of ourself. And how we do that is to seek after God in His righteousness and in His holiness and ask that He equip us to walk in that way. See, just to be clear, God is asking for us to sit at His feet and be changed so that we can have a new walk in Him. Like that quote I read at the beginning, over trying to be something we're not is actually not transformation, right? Like, it doesn't say here, you're, you know, you're in the futility of your own mind. Stop it! Stop it! That's not what it says. That's not what it says. It says you need to read deeply invest yourself in sitting at Christ's feet, asking for his transformative work in you. Be unified because part of our process of community is becoming more like Christ together. Some people have said it's impossible to be a, a, a lone ranger Christian on your own and be sanctified. I don't know, maybe if you were in a culture there was no other Christians, God would grant you that grace. But by and large, I, don't, I wouldn't see why he would do that in our community. God's calling us to be unified and as one. He goes on to say in verse 25, put, all, put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak the truth to his neighbor, so, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, that he may have something to share with anyone who's in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such that is good for building up, as that fits the occasion, that it might give grace to those who hear. Another great prayer for our community, right? Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It gives opportunity to the devil. There's spiritual forces at work in our country behind the chaos, right? God's Spirit is alive, and, and it says in this chapter that God's imputed to us gifts and empowerment to go do His work. And as we get to chapter 6, we'll also see there's negative spiritual forces. There's truly wicked spiritual forces active in the world today. And the book is going to talk to us about how to stand in those things. But notice, along the way, it's talking to us about walking together first. About walking together first. Do not fight injustice with injustice. In, fight injusti, injustice with holiness and righteousness. 
We won't be spiritually honest if we don't do that. Live an empowered life, it says. Put off falsehood. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. The Bible tells us we're called to be wise like serpents and innocents like doves. And in, in this world right now, I, I think that's a good word, to be wise, to be holy, to be righteous. Verse 30 says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ forgave you. The world is quite filled with clamor. And it's easy as we have a very high sense of cultural anxiety and I think with being shut in, almost a sense of animosity can creep in without being able to get away, without being able to get out, without being able to physically express yourself or get some fresh air or whatever. Be careful with your bitterness or your clamor. Be careful with those unhappy thoughts that you want to take out on others. Give them over to the Lord. Let Him work. Let Him bring us together for now, for such a time as this. He's put us here and He's called us and He's prepared us. And right now, there's challenges for the gospel that I would pray that we rise to the occasion. So in light of all this, couple questions as we walk away that we can ponder today. In what manner of life should we walk? And in what manner of life do we currently walk? I think it's easy for me when I have a lot of my mind to be less intentional about how I walk with the Lord. And I don't mean like totally backslidden and heathen. I just mean a little less intentional about how I represent Christ to others. And I think in God's timing, you realize we planned this sermon series months ago to have this chapter today about unity when we're reunited and about clamor and spiritual challenge in the world the first weekend we came back after maybe the biggest public demonstration in, in decades, one of the biggest in our country's history. It seems like a timely message for us to pray about unity within our community and unity of the Spirit. And it's also a good thing to take inventory of what gifts God has left us as we talk about leaders being equippers of the saints and God coming here and giving us spiritual gifts with which to work in our community for things like unity and holiness and redemptive purposes. What's he given you? He's given us all something. He's given us all something. And he also says things like, hey, it's in the darkest dark that light shines the brightest. So I would challenge you that you probably have a gift that God's going to let shine all the brighter during this season. Be in prayer with me what, 
of what that gift is and how you can use it. Let me close us in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, Lord. We appreciate you. We love you. Your message is so timely and powerful, Lord, like it always is. I ask that you let it work on our hearts, that you would take all the time we've sat at your feet, Lord, and let that lead to character transformation and walking after you, to a new sense of empowerment and giftedness where, where we can combat the forces of darkness in the world and bring about change through love. Lord, let your gospel be on our lips. Let an easy hug be in our arms for others, and let us go about supporting one another in this time. In Jesus' precious name, all God's people said, Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Steve. Very timely and relevant message there. Wow. Uh, I'd like to invite you guys to stand with us for the closing song. I stand.
Okay, in closing, we wanted to kind of say the pastor search committee is working diligently, but we're going to do a little bit different way in reporting it, not on the recorded message. <laughs> so we're, we're, watch your emails. Another thing is um, remember the, your connection card and, and offering. Remember to do that. And finally, next Sunday, we're not, I'm not totally sure what's going to happen next Sunday. So watch your email. Pastor Steve and Sue will be working that out with uh, whatever committees they got to work that out with. And uh, it'll probably be some kind of sign up again or something. But watch your email, please. Be, be ready. So, all right, we're going to close with Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor coronavirus, nor rioting, nor separation and church shutdowns, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the message Pastor Steve gave for the worship team and the music and how, how uplifting that was to my heart. Lord, we just thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.